There it is, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in. A quick shout out to our geeks and sneaks out there, particularly geek and sneak listener Alan Murphy, who said he's going to be using this episode of DLC to get him through mile 70 of his 100-mile ultra marathon that he's doing for the first time. Wow, that's impressive. If you are a geek and sneaks, if you are rocking a workout right now, if you are getting through that run using us to power you through, we are there for you. DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing DLC to you. DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who, every single week, uses his money in the bank to jump into this podcast at the very last minute, Mr. Christian Spicer. Welcome, Christian. Hello. Good morning. Happy uh, seventy mile seventy. Holy moly! Um, congratulations, slash. You're insane. <laughs> Did you get that reference? The money in the bank reference, Christian. Did you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe Ducktales. Oh, WrestleMania was this weekend. I, I don't. Seth care. Rollins used his money in the bank to jump in, make make the the final title match into a fatal four way or a three way match, and uh, stole the title from Brock Lesnar by not even pinning Brock Lesnar. It was amazing. Stole the title ah, as it was previously scripted to be stolen. I get that people like wrestling, but you have What's to be comfortable knowing stuff? nothing. But you can't hate people for not liking wrestling, just like people can't hate people. Wrestling is one of sorry, David. Wilt guys, I have to I have to step in a moment here. <laughs> I got to cut you off, Christian, because I have something to say about this. Um, I uh, I totally get where you're coming from. I used to be like you, and I'm not a wrestling fan. Uh, but a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Gill, took me to a wrestle wrestling event at Madison Square Gardens ten years ago, and I was blown away. Um, yeah, by baby, the, by the physicality, the the skill, the performance. Like honestly, like you, it, it, it's incredible. So I totally am with you in that. I'm I don't follow it. I don't know what's going on. I saw a ton of people in my. F- sort of social feed yesterday talking about WrestleMania. Um, but uh, I've got to say, like, those guys really put themselves through it. It's pretty impressive. Well, so I'm backing we should, Jeff on this. Thank you. We should we should uh, announce to the people who the, – the people whose show this really is. We should announce uh, who that voice is. DLC <laughs> is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week DLC stands for Dynamite's lead counter spy because we've got the creative director of counter spy right here. You heard his voice. He is the co-founder of Dynamite. He uh, used to work at LucasArts and Rockstar and he's on our show this week. We're excited. Friend of the show, David Nottingham. Welcome, David. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes. Christian, I hope you won't get too mad at me for... Uh slapping you down and hitting you with a chair there no I mean, my he point laid is, down the he, he laid the smack down on your uh on your candy ass christian wrestling uh, is you like that is fine but uh advocates of wrestling if you don't 
to someone that doesn't like wrestling, like, are you crazy? It's the best. Um, if you're in California or Colorado or somewhere where weed is largely legal, legal, I feel like it's the same thing. Like, I don't do drugs, and pot smokers are like, dude, oh, oh, you can't. You're an idiot. You got to do it. It's so great. And wrestling fans no are the same way. Though. Wrestling you got fans real are the same way. You don't like it? It's, it's athletic, dude. Yeah, it's scripted, but it's great. Fine, you like there's it. Nothing... I All don't. Right. This is a completely different argument, but. I I don't I'm baffled by the idea that you're using the fact that it's scripted as a reason not to like it. Like wh- what does that have to do with anything? It's entertainment. It's uh, uh, there's tons of scripted entertainment that you enjoy. It has nothing to do with the quality level or whether or not you would enjoy it. I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh you ad-libbed a little there. I lost my place in my script. What page are we on? <laughs> <laughs> uh there's nothing wrong with scripts. Um uh, but okay, whatever. We'll we'll move on. I just want to also say right here at the top, hey, if you enjoy DLC, if you like this show, there's something really quick and easy you can do to help us out. Run over to the downloader of your choice, be that iTunes or Stitcher or however you happen to get the show. Uh, we love to get reviews on those platforms and we prefer the five-star variety. So if you're digging the show, why not take a second out of your day, give us a five-star review on iTunes. We dig that and it's most appreciated. All right. Uh, this is not a wrestling podcast, despite my wish that it would be (laughs) uh it is a show all about video games and board games and we're gonna kick the show off the way we normally do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week david as our guest you mm-hmm. get first pick of story. So uh, what do you consider to be your story of the week this week? Okay. So, um, so there's some pretty good stuff to talk about this week. Um, but the one that I wanted to pick, cause if I didn't, I didn't know if you guys would was um, it's a little bit inside baseball, but um, a guy who's been in games for a very long time, Lorne Lanning, who created the odd world um, series of games in that whole universe, um, had a really interesting article last week uh, on Games Industry Insider about um, capitalism killing games. Um, do you, do you want me to give a sort of synopsis of it, or do you do yeah. that? I'm not sure how this works. You, you, um, you're okay. welcome to do it yourself. Okay, so basically, he was sort of talking about the realities of games industry economics in in modern day times, right? And how over the times, you know, games started out super small. Uh, budgets got bigger and bigger and bigger, and you end up in this sort of arms race. And a lot of the points he was making was around, you know, that's that's analogous to sort of capitalism, right? Like public corporations, that's how they also drive growth. And so he had some sort of bigger, loftier statements to make. Um, but I, I didn't want to get too political with it, but I did want to um, sort of talk a little bit about what he was saying about sort of the games industry, because that's something I know. Um, and I've been in for, for a number of years, probably um, about the same amount of time as, as he is. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think uh, the point he was making, um, it paints the picture about how you as an independent game developer today can get to sustainability um, as a business, because that's ultimately where you want to be. You want to be able to support your company to keep making great games. Right. And and his point mm-hmm. was that like, why would anyone today 
um, go and develop a $60 game um, that costs like $100 million um, if they want to be independent because the economics just aren't there. Like you'll never, as an independent developer, make that money back. Um, obviously, when it's a big publisher like an Activision um, or Ubisoft, like they're they're paying themselves back first, so they're able to make that business model work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and the thing that um, he talked about was he's sort of excitedly talking about how like it makes a lot more sense for him to make that $15 type of price point because expectations aren't as high. And as an independent business, he's doesn't need as much money as say a typical publisher might need or, or big entity to sort of make a good profit. Right. And mm -hmm. he talks about games like monument Valley um, as being an example where they uh, were very successful on iPad. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, that was a long preamble. Um, I think the main <laughs> point I wanted to get to was one of the challenges for game developers today that I think is 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 really true is um, when you look around. Like the key thing is who owns the IP. It's about mm -hmm. ownership of that IP. Um, you know, Lorne Lanning is someone that's been able to sort of continue to. Um, sort of explore that world, that odd world world, and make money kind of doing new games or even updates of old games because it's his property. He owns it, or his company owns it. If you think about people like Jordan Mechner, created the original um, Prince of Persia, Greg mm -hmm. Johnson, who just um, did a Kickstarter for Tojam and Earl, these are creators that sort of back in the early sort of halcyon days of video game development. Um, Development costs were super low. You had two to three people making a game, and they were able to strike deals where they owned the IP. Um, that's quite difficult now, um, right. unless you are a two to three person um, team that or that's able to self finance um, yourself, sort of work out of your parents' um, garage or whatever. Then um, I think that's one of the big challenges in terms of where. Um, game developers like like Dynamite, for example, currently face it's like how do you get to a place where you can own the IP for the games you create? Yeah, and you're you're in a unique position to talk about this, right? Because you have worked at the uh, on the larger scale at at big mm -hmm. companies, uh, and now you're making uh, games on your own terms and uh, you know on a smaller footprint games. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting hearing Lauren Lanning, as you said, he's the the creator of Odd World, and and he has been sort of re-releasing the Odd World games, uh, upresed and and compatible with modern uh, platforms mm -hmm. uh, to sort of finance his new games. Uh, he has the luxury of being able to do that, but he's talking about you know this ballooning cost of of AAA titles, the gigantic amounts that these games uh, require to create, and the requirements of publishers and investors really the people that put up that large sum that get those you know up front to make those games uh, need to have a 5x or 10x return on their investment and he's advocating for smaller games that don't require such a big return because you're not beholden to giant investors and he's advocating for independent titles who can can be sustainable as you said uh because they can just make back what he says is just a one X or two X double your money uh, and just make it so that you can invest in your next game and keep, 
keep creating and it's not, you know, it's not the billion dollar profits you're getting from a, a Call of Duty or a Halo or something on that scale. Um, it's an interesting perspective. It's, it's interesting because he, you know, he goes on and on and on about this. And then sort of the end of the article is like, yeah, but if I wanted to make a, an actual new odd world game, I'd need millions of dollars. And it's like, well, you're not kind of practicing what you preach in that sense. He's like, I want, I'll make other things, but if I want to make my odd world games, those are precious to me. So I need millions and millions. Um, well, he probably does need millions and millions, right? Like, and it, it's probably just the economics of, of games development. Um, you know, like again, going back to if, if you can make a game like an Octodad or a Monument Valley or some of these really amazing sort of games that one to two people are putting out now, but if you want to make something that requires you know like like counter spy was about 15 people at the biggest right um Mm -hmm. that's 15 people that are all professionals working in the games industry that have fam families in many cases and you know like um people come to games not to get rich um especially when you think about um things like engineers who typically have um especially somewhere like the bay area Right, they're, they're, they've got plenty of other places they can go where salaries are higher. So mm-hmm. um, people don't come here to get rich, but people still have you know cost of living and families to support and things like that. So sure. it, it you know when you actually um, add it all up, it's it's kind of crazy. Like even me, someone who's been in the industry for a long time, it's like sometimes when I look at all those numbers adding up, I'm like, oh my god, look, you know the costs are real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, do you look at it? Uh, I'm curious uh, because of your position, having been on both sides. I mean, are you okay with there being this weird two tier system that has a vast gulf in the middle of it? Are you okay with these, these big gigantic blockbuster, uh, you know, multi-million dollar production games and then this big gulp and then the, the smaller stuff that is much more creative, much more daring, much more outside the box, but but doesn't have the production value that you can find from, you know, Grand Theft Auto or something like that? Well, I'm like, look, this is me being totally biased and self-serving in saying this, right? But, like, um, I love the big AAA next-gen games. You know, I'll still play um, Grand Theft Auto V when it comes out and all all the kind of big games, and they're not going to go away. Um, And I love a lot of the small indie games you know like there's so many games that came out last year that kind of from those tiny tiny teams and it's one of the reasons that inspired us to sort of move away from AAA and go and start a company like dynamite um but you know is there a place you want to have a place for those like 10 15 20 person teams you know that can kind of hit that sweet spot like counter spy for example was a game um, you know, like that wasn't a game that we probably could have made with three people, right? We had mm-hmm, like right. char- character models that have to be rigged and animated and all this sort of stuff. This is why you see a lot of teams also kind of embrace the more um, sort of retro aesthetic, like um, 2D right. pixels and that style. Like you can uh, create a lot of content that way. Um so uh, there's sort of this weird donut hole right now, I think, um, where a couple of years ago there was like a, a, a ton of optimism about where the industry was going with digital platforms, feeling like it was just going to grow 
these opportunities. And I feel like we're in this weird in-between space right now where, uh, and then it'll, it'll take a couple of years. Probably one thing, for example, is like PlayStation 4 is doing very well. Xbox One is doing decent, but they're still early in their cycle. So there's maybe there's not enough people out there as an audience yeah. um, yet to sort of support these sort of middle games. Um, but I also think about culturally, if you look at movies, for example, you see a very similar thing there, right? Like I think last year out of the 10 top 10 movies that came out, only one was not based on a franchise yeah. or superhero right. or something like that, you know, sequel. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I love those Avengers movies. Right. But like, uh, I, I personally do also like to see original sort of stuff that is trying to do something cool. Um, and doesn't need to be, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars thrown at it. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, uh, what's your take on this? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to use a metaphor like, uh, you know, all the triple A's are like Brock Lesnar, where the uh, indie games are more like a Dolph Ziggler. And uh, th- there's room for both, but you need to, you know, you need to push the Dolph Zigglers to get them to be main eventers. I- is that uh, kind of what you were thinking? Exactly. So I guess we can just move on. <laughs> so what, what is your, uh, what's your real take on this, uh, on this, this kind of, uh, th- do you read the, the piece of Lauren Lanning? I did. It's fascinating. I mean, I think to some extent, um, people have been arguing against um, what capitalism ultimately creates for years. And, you know, that's a much larger discussion than just games. I think like anything, though, as things become successful and popular, there's the desire to create bigger, badder, um, whatever Cliff Blazinski said about Gears of War 2, more badass or whatever it was. And that goes with more money and more risk and more expenses and public companies because private companies don't have the money to finance something that big often. But I also think we are getting this beautiful renaissance, and he mentions it in the article, of these smaller than indie games that are reactionary, just like film did, you know, throughout the 80s as you had these huge blockbusters or early 90s and these action mm-hmm. movies and these over-the-top things. And then studios, large studios, started creating their indie movie wing and you're seeing that now in games too with activision relaunching sierra and Mm. people really getting into this space so i think it's you know it's always wise to keep your eye on the you know poop mountain (laughs) that's coming down your way that's changing the thing that you love in a way that you think is negative but i think you also need to look at the other side of the coin and what these what this pressure is then creating in the creative space that only allows it to flourish because these people felt they didn't have a home in the quote unquote um, normal industry. And so I think to say that games is ruined because of capitalism is, you know, vastly overstating the problem. Um, But I understand many of his grievances also something about WrestleMania. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic. I mean, we're seeing uh, companies crushed under the weight of these incredible numbers of, uh, you know, what is needed to make something successful these days. You can't have a successful title on a on a scale of triple A unless you sell these gargantuan numbers. And yet Mm -hmm. there's all these indie developers uh, who are finding success, finding sustainability, finding ways to create interesting, daring, really revolutionary products that Mm – that aren't just retreading the same thing over and over again, doing it at a, mm. at a lower price point, selling a smaller number of, of, of total units, but still mm. creating cool things and being sustainable. So, you know, bravo to that. I think, I mean, I think the, the real winner coming out of this article is 
digital distribution. I mean, we're in a really wonderful time because that's a viable release strategy, right? Um, yeah, I was just thinking about, as you were talking, it got me thinking about, you know, in terms of the publishers, in some ways it is those big $60 games that probably have the most to fear, right? Cause they're, they're under a ton of pressure almost from multiple fronts. Um, yeah. cause, cause on the one hand you've got, I mean, this, the scale of what these games cost now is insane. Um, you know, when I started out and making a game for PlayStation, like a huge budget on PlayStation could be like four or five million dollars. And those games would retail for 50 or 60 bucks. And now mm-hmm. those games cost a hundred million dollars and they retail for 50 or 60 bucks. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. Um, That's why all these so companies the, are trying to find other ways to monetize, exactly. like DL, downloadable DLC and, right. and microtransactions, and all that stuff that yeah. annoy us. It's like, well, they're not getting any extra money from right. you unless you, they do when, that. And when you think about it also, like, I, I don't know if you guys talked about this last week, but I know there's been a lot of conversation recently about like, these remastered versions that keep copying up again. Oh, you're saying that selling us the same game again, you're selling us the same game again. It's like, but of course they're going to have to do stuff like that. Right. Because they've got to find ways to, to bring in the money to keep funding the game safe. Right. And then you look at the way the companies are moving now. also with annualized releases, like I don't, I love Assassin's Creed, but I don't need a game, an Assassin's Creed game every year, but economically, that I believe that's what's driving the decisions of those big companies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating topic. It's one we could talk about for a long, long time. And uh, I'm really glad you brought it up. I, I recommend people checking out this article. It is um, at uh, gamesindustry.biz. Uh, and it's this interview with Lauren Lanning. Lauren Lanning is a very opinionated guy, has been for decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a, he, he's kind of all over the board in the article. And there's some things I, I agree with and others that I don't, but it certainly uh, mm-hmm. it makes for some interesting reading and, and thought-provoking reading. Um, Christian, what is, your, uh, what is your story of the week pick? Well, you got to have your Jeff Kanata is right moment not too long ago. And this is uh, <laughs> me dipping my toe into the Christian was right uh, moment. Absolutely. Zelda, Zelda Wii U, not going to make its 2015 uh, release date not going to be shown at E3. Dun, wow. dun, dun, dun. I mean, they were adamant that it was a 2015 title, right? I mean, this was yeah, the man. thing. You k- kudos where kudos are due because you nailed this in our uh, our January fifth predictions episode. Uh, you said it wasn't going to make calendar 2015. Uh, I scoffed. I said that it would be a massive strategic mistake uh, for Nintendo, and I I stand by that. I still Me think too. it is. Me, I agreed with you, <laughs> but I, I gotta respect the company for uh, not putting out a substandard product, even if they desperately need that product. I mean, you got to kind of give them props for that. You don't um, think it's a delay for the NX? I mean, that's the second part of my prediction is that the NX is next year. Right. Uh, I would be, I will be very shocked if you're right on that. I, I have said, and I will, I continue to believe that I think NX is farther away than their discussion of it might lead people to believe. And I don't think that this is going to be a, uh, you know, a twilight princess style bridge game to another platform. I think, I think that's farther away. I think we're the thing that's really crazy to me is the fact that they're not showing it at E3. That makes me think that it's farther away than, say first quarter 2016 that it's more like it's holiday holiday. 2016 which is 
Wow, that is crazy. I mean, it happens every Zelda. It happens to every Zelda, but I just didn't think it would happen this time. I'm hoping that they had this beautiful game that was very Zelda-like, but open world. And then I'm hoping that they thought, let's populate this world a little more. Whereas I think originally, total, this is just BS hypothesis on my part, but they had this vast, empty open world. And I'm hoping that they're going to create something truly dynamic and awesome and very Zelda-ish. I'm not saying create Morrowind Zelda, but something that you can do more and see more and engage and have more than one village and make it feel epic. And so hopefully, and I'm hoping that they bit off more than they could chew. (laughs) And now they're doubling down to make this thing amazing instead of just saying, here's this open world with six dungeons. (laughs) Go play. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that how they announced this delay, I think, should be the new gold standard for how any delay... <laughs> like, you need to have the designer, of the lead designer of the game, standing in front of an all-white background, just apologizing to camera. <laughs> Dead like, in the eyes. I mean, that, there was I'm, hurt. There was hurt in those eyes. I'm so sorry. Our game is delayed. We said it would be out. It's not going to. Bowing to you, <laughs> to the camera. Mm-hmm. I apologize. I will now, you know commit seppuku (laughs) um david what's your take on this um so i'm i'm gonna speak from the developer perspective on this so um not in favor of seppuku (laughs) well no but well so here's i get i got a feel for that guy um but the other thing is like nobody nobody likes to see their game delayed um that they've been working on super hard you kind of have this fixed idea in your head of like okay yeah it's really hard right now but you know this time next year or november time yeah we're gonna take that holiday and we're gonna like chill out for a couple of months and then all of a sudden you're it slowly dawns on you oh no 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 that end's not coming like it's been extended out you know it's kind of like this constant thing that keeps moving past backwards but the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, you hate to work on something where you feel like you're having to push it out when it's not ready. And yeah. the thing that, I mean, let, let's all just at least respect Nintendo. Like, they their whole entire c- career as a company, like, that's kind of how they built the Nintendo brand, right? Like, they will not release a game until it's ready. Um, yeah. At least not one that I can remember. So um, I always have... Uh, I think it's a really tough decision to make for any company, but um, there's always good reasons for it, and especially with a company like Zelda. So as a consumer, uh, I'll be super excited to see, you know, what it what it is when it comes. Um, and as a developer, I, I kind of empathize for the journey those guys are on. Um, yeah. Also... Yeah. Sorry, I'm. We, you know, I feel like we do as an industry. Like we kind of obsess on when dates get pushed out a lot, and I don't know if people just should like. I'd love to see it something where like they just didn't commit till dates until it was much closer to launch. But um, that's been our position on this show. Yeah, (laughs) Christian and I have been advocating for that for a long time. Like, just why don't just don't give us a date? Don't if you unless you know for sure. Um, yeah, I don't understand. I, mean, I think that there's a, I think a lot of that has to do with sort of, you know, this was announced on an investor call. I think a lot of that right. has to do with publicly traded companies and like, here are your tent poles you can expect to, right. during these quarters. Um, so a lot so, of it is out of the hands of the, of the developers completely, but still, I, I think it only tends to hurt, hurt these companies. Um, that darn capitalism again. 
<laughs> and that darn capitalism. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it, the, it brings up the, an interesting point for both Nintendo and the entire slate of what holiday 2015 is going to be like for gamers because i think e3 this year for nintendo is going to be all star fox all the time uh is star fox enough of a game for nintendo to hang their hat on uh, during the holiday for for wii u which is a already underperforming console is my first question and my second question is or more of a comment i guess is uh man this rise of the tomb raider exclusivity window is looking better and better for uh for Microsoft, right? Because we have Uncharted moving out of the holiday window. We have, uh, Zelda moving out of the holiday window. So we have Halo and Rise of the Tomb Raider as these massive exclusives on one particular console. It's hard to think what's, you know, there's going to need to be some big E3 surprises to match that. Christian, what do you, what do you think about those two points? Well, yeah, to your second uh, statement or your first statement, your second thing you said, <laughs> um, Microsoft, it looks at right now is sitting very pretty for another gangbuster holiday season. They had a great one last year with the price drop and the Assassin's Creed pack ins and, and, you know, the aggressive retail strategy they took and Rise of the Tomb Raider Halo, which we should say Halo 5 received its um, release date of October 27th and assuming they hit it. But that's what you were referring to. Halo 5 has a has a launch date. Rise of the I guess Tomb Raider. I'll choose a different story of the week, Christian. But go ahead. Well, you are you said it in your thing <laughs> without did. saying it, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's huge. And then, not to mention, of course, all the multi platforms that are going to be coming out and that are still really big on Xbox, like Call of Duty. They are really sitting on some juggernauts. To your Nintendo question, I don't think Nintendo cares. I don't think they're giving up on the Wii U per se, but they've given up on the Wii U because. You know, let's say Zelda did come out and it sells well. I mean, Smash sold really well. It didn't move a whole bunch of consoles. It didn't. Nothing is going to save the Wii U. And this is from someone that owns a Wii U. And six of my favorite games of this console generation are the six games I own on the Wii U, right? There are fantastic experiences to play on that thing. But Nintendo is not concerned with trying to save the Wii U. So I don't think they care. I think you're putting too much causation relationship uh between these things and this mention of the fact that they're working on their next hardware you i may end up eating my words but i really really don't think that just because they mention the fact that they are working on a next gen hardware means that that is sort of the next focus point for the company i don't think we're going to well, i don't hear think much it is about either I mean, I think that I think that's a necessity too for the failing of the Wii U. I think the Wii U being such a failure was a uh, you know came out of nowhere for Nintendo. They weren't expecting it to be such a dud, and they were scrambling and trying to figure out what to do. And scrambling for N- Nintendo um, is just walking slowly for any other company, right? <laughs> I mean, they're yeah. trying to figure out what to do and what the next thing should be. And of course, they're working on a next console, but I think they're saying it because they needed to say it when they said the DNA announcement and, and they're pulling back on not rushing Zelda because it's not going to turn things around for their investors. It's not going to save the company. It's not going to keep them out of going out of business or whatever. It's just, it is what it is. And they don't care because the Wii U is leaking water everywhere and nothing will patch it up. David, do you think that Star Fox is going to be impressive enough to uh, sort of carry Nintendo through this holiday, or do you think that they need to have some other surprise at E3 for us? Um, I don't have a Wii U. Um, I didn't buy one. Um, 
I have friends who've bought them, and and there's games that they love. Um, so I guess a couple of things. One is like I would actually be interested in um, buying a console if it had a great Star Fox game on it, just because I, that game was so awesome back in the day. Like I have so many fond memories of it, and I feel like we haven't seen that a, a Star Fox game for a long time. But like, when was the last? Star Fox. I think game. Star Fox Adventures, or there was a Star Fox uh, 3DS game, right? Uh, well, that was, was, a, was a re-release yeah. of Star Fox 64 so on 3D. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking of that original game and how incredible it was at the time, and that would like totally um, pique my interest. Um, whether that means you know on a broad scale it would be, but the other thing I was going to say is like, does I think to your point, like does does Nintendo really? care like do they really need it i mean i guess they have investors and stuff but like they have so much money in the bank it's not like oh my god it's not like a sort of sega situation where they're like oh my god if the dreamcast doesn't go gangbusters we're getting out of the hardware business yeah no right? that's a, it's a very different situation than that for sure <laughs> so yeah and they've always sort of zigged when everyone else zagged and kind of they they go to their own beat of the drum, I guess. And the other thing is like, so as a, as developers and publishers, people often knock Nintendo because it's really hard for independent companies to make money on their platforms. But it doesn't yeah. really matter to Nintendo. Like as long as they keep making incredible games, you're going to buy the hardware to play the games on. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I guess that's my uninformed because I don't even own a Wii U. <laughs> uh well on that note let's uh let's take a quick break we have to thank our sponsors yes it will be a quick break uh linda linda th- has brought to you this episode and linda is the online learning platform with over three thousand on-demand video courses that help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills and we're going to give you a free 10-day trial to check out lynda.com that's l-y-n-d-a.com if you go to lynda.com slash dlc that's l-y-n-d-a.com slash dlc uh we'll give you a 10-day free trial you can check it out why is linda possibly for you well linda is for problem solvers it's for curious people it's for people who want to make things happen it helps you make uh, you can master programs master excel learn negotiation tactics build a website boost your photoshop skills learn how to program there's uh there's all kinds of great programming sco- courses 3d modeling courses it's awesome i actually have been checking out lynda.com and uh, i was so impressed by the the variety and the quality of the videos that they have that teach you how to do things there's a really cool there's a whole um education area and that's just like stuff like speed reading i was doing a speed reading uh, course that's on lynda.com it's so fascinating you can just learn these really great useful skills there's a whole course on gamification in learning that that you know i'm not an educator i'm not somebody that's going to go into a classroom and use this if you are, it's super useful because they have tons of classes for that. But if you're not, it's just an interesting topic to hear someone educated about it talk about. Someone who's very knowledgeable. These are experts. These aren't just random YouTube yokels. This is experts talking on uh, on the streams. And there's thousands of courses. This is incredible. Uh, I was checking out. There's all this great stuff about producing video. I was watching a DSLR um, course very in-depth about how to use DSLR cameras to create video and how to and audio, all kinds of great stuff. 
you can, uh, oh, the cool thing too is when you're watching the video, it's got a transcript, uh, written out and it highlights as it goes what the people are saying, which means it's searchable. So you can search for exactly the information that you need. It's awesome. You learn at your own pace. You can, uh, go to the structured courses. You can find out exactly the, the tidbit of knowledge you need. You don't have to start at the beginning and just hear all the beginner stuff. If, if you're not a beginner, it's fantastic. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. And whether you want to become an industry expert or you're passionate about a hobby or you just want to learn something new, head over there. We'll give you a 10-day free trial if you go to lynda.com slash DLC. We appreciate Linda's sponsorship of this show and hope you check them out. Why not? It's free. Lynda.com slash DLC. Um, okay, guys. We should mention, as Christian brought up, Halo 5 release date, uh, October 27th. Cool. But also a couple of live action trailers to accompany the release announcement. They debuted, I think, on during The Walking Dead last night, but they're online now. Uh, one from the Master Chief's perspective, one from another Spartan's perspective. Very interesting stuff. I'm curious why they made these live action. It doesn't seem to be any reason for them to be live action. This could have been CG and just as effective in my opinion. I don't understand live action trailers. David, can you explain this to me? Why do we mm-hmm. need live action trailers? Why do, does that give a legitimacy? Does that mean it it fits into uh live action television programming better? Is that is that the reason? Uh pass. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Okay, well, did, fair enough. Those those Call of Duty uh, live action ads were pretty awesome, though. You know those ones with um, those Kobe Bryant. Uh, oh, yeah, you're Kobe talking about uh, and and the ones with um, what's his name? The guys from uh, twenty twenty one Jump Street. Oh right, jo- yeah, yeah. Jonah Hill. Yeah, I think yeah, it was Jonah so Hill, and was it? I don't remember, but yes, I know what you're talking. But those weren't really. I those were sort of like lifestyle. Sure. Ads. They weren't like, hey, you're inside the game, but we shot it like it was a movie. Um, I don't know. Christian, what do, what do you think? I wonder if it's cheaper. Than creating CG? Maybe. I doubt yeah, it, I mean, but maybe. They, they have this suit of armor. They set up on a green screen. I mean, yeah, they have it. The environment is somewhat CG'd. I do think some of it is too, though. It's creating this. I think there is uh, still a desire as gamers become older to see these great properties as live action movies, right? It's, it goes to whether or not competitive gaming is a sport. It's validation of our hobby in a lot of people's eyes. So when you see something that looks quality made live action that isn't a video game immediately for someone that doesn't know video games so they roll their eyes and like oh it's child's thing you see this Mm. cool live action star wars looking thing i think it's in a lot of people it validates it and i think that's why people tend to go that route especially lately there's been so much of it right and i think that's an important part yeah Uh, chris ltd in the sorry go ahead didn't Destiny have a live action uh, ad mm-hmm. as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Chris LTD in the chat says he thinks it's just a way to show off everyone else is doing CG, so they do live action. That may be something to do with it. It, it feels more prestigious. It's the big top tier games that get the live action trailer. I think it just highlights the fact that we're not at photorealism yet in our games. It's like, oh, here's here's the game. If it looked like this, it would be cool, but it doesn't look like this. This is real. I don't know. Um, what, did you guys like the trailers? Do you think they're cool? Are you excited for Halo, David? 
haven't seen the trailers, uh, and I haven't played a Halo game since the first one. So I'm a really okay. bad guest on your show this week. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, what about you? I, I watched both. I think it's interesting. I like that they're trying. So people that haven't seen them, it shows, you know, the same basically scene from your two protagonists slash antagonists because each one paints them as a different um, <laughs> a different thing, depending on whose side you are. And the tagline is what every story has two sides or something like that. And I love that they're trying to be ambitious with a story in Halo um, and I like the fact that it seems like it's a, and I don't mean this negatively or sarcastically at all. I like the fact that it seems like it's a simple story where it's these two people's differing opinion of what happened, like the story you can get behind who's good, who's bad. Halo has always had a rich universe, but I feel like their storytelling has been overly complicated for complicated sake. And I, I love the idea that this is two people going about things that they both think are good and they have their own justifications for doing them, and how does that play out? I think that's awesome. I'm a little scared that it might be a Halo 2 scenario where I only yeah, want to play the game as, is one. Yeah. Right, and the other character's story isn't interesting or, or dynamic because Halo, I mean Halo, <laughs> because Master Chief is the good guy. You know, like, yeah. that would be mind-blowing if they painted him to be a, a villain this whole time. I would love to see that. I don't think it will happen. Uh, well, I mean, what did you think, Jeff? Were you blown away? Does this get you interested in... The story of Halo 5? I mean, they're very brief. Uh, yeah, I think that it's intriguing. It's a cool... I like, you know, it sets up a mystery, which is kind of an interesting take. And it's not just the same old, same old of Master Chief standing, looking at a thing and contemplating. I mean, he, I guess he kind of is doing that. But at least the thing he's looking at is more compelling than just, you know, uh, Space Vista. Uh, it, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see more for Halo 5. I think E3 is going to be a big, big Halo 5 coming out party. And uh, that hype train, a choo choo, is already rocking. Um, and October twenty seventh is an early date, relatively early date. So uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I think I think it's going to be a uh, good to see more of it. Do you guys want to hear an embarrassing Halo confession? Uh, yes, please. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so um, so I, I I did play a ton of the first Halo game, and I really liked it, um, but. The whole time I was playing it, I thought the main character's name was Master Chef. <laughs> so oh, that'd be so I was kind of like, oh, it's cool. Like, you're this, you're the sort of like underdog anonymous <laughs> protagonist who is just like the chef, a, a little bit like Steven Seagal in Under Siege, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you got looped into this big fight. So, uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing. He, but he, it's not that he was just some, you know, some apprentice, some lackey cook. He is the master chef. He is, he is, <laughs> he has a, achieved culinary heights. He's, uh, yeah. They wake Gordon. him up from cryo sleep to make a delicious omelet and also the best omelet. He's a master at d- doing omelets. They no one has ever Gordon. done it better than him. They should have got Gordon Ramsay for the, uh, for the live action ad. <laughs> All Actually, you need to do. You you put the eggs in the pan, then you shoot the needler at them, and they uh, fry right up. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I actually uh, am interested just hearing you guys talk about the trailer, because just something that goes sort of onto both sides and doesn't become that kind of clear cut, you know, you're the good guys, just kill those aliens, like, is, is more interesting to me, so. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh, I like Maximilian in, the, Maximilian in the chat said, Master Chef in Halo Cuisine Evolved. <laughs> 
I like that. I think I think a Halo and Cooking Mama uh, crossover would be pretty entertaining. <laughs> it's long overdue. Um, <laughs> I also want to say um, David has been um, just very nice of a guest, but I want to say, and one, I want to say I'm getting nothing for this, but Counter Spy is still free on PS Plus today right now. I'm going to say this for David because he has yet to mention it. He has been a humble guest, not even bringing it up as his story of the week. I've always liked the game. I stumbled upon it unbeknownst to me at E3 last year and in the indie section. I paid my own money to play it. I enjoyed it. If you're PS Plus right now, while you're listening to us, go download it. Have fun with it. Um, David can probably say something more eloquently. I am curious thoughts on a going PS Plus and if that justifies gamers' ideas of I won't buy the game because it'll be plus in four months Mm. anyway. But if you have plus, download it. David, sorry you hadn't mentioned it. People (laughs) are running out of time. Go get this game. I yeah, I probably should have done a better job. Yeah, I I I figured I'd be able to do that at the end. Sure, I'm doing it now. What people? But thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm virtually blushing now. So what about that point? Uh, do you do you ha- did you have any consternation about people waiting for it to go free, or it's kind of feeling like oh I could have I could have waited for it to go free? Um, yeah, so it it's it, it's it's interesting. I'm sort of uh, conflicted um, when so as a creative person, right? You're making these games, and at the end of the day, you're not making them for yourselves. You want to release them and you want to share them with the world. And so once it's out there, um, you know, you'll have your initial flurry of attention and there's reviews and you'll go on podcasts like DLC and you'll get to talk about your game and there'll be people who talked about it. And it's re- that's really awesome. And then it kind of like tails off a bit. Um, and so we've had, I think this is like six months later, the game's really had this second act because um, you know, things started to get pretty quiet. Um, you know, I manage the dynamite social feed and, you know, I'll try and keep up with what people are saying about Counterspy. And so it definitely tailed off. Um, and then in this, it's in the same week, literally in the same week, we got uh, nominated for a BAFTA. So I'm just going to pimp that out there because that was awesome. Um, do you guys know what a BAFTA is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the Bay Area like, Free Trade Agreement, right? That's <laughs> zing. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like the British version of the Oscars slash, um, you know, TV right. movies. But they they have a, a game section. And so it's actually pretty nice to be able to call your parents up. My parents are, are British, hence my accent. Um, you know, and they've actually heard of it. It's not like, hey, we got some Spike TV um, and they're like, what? Um, so that was really good. And then the same week, uh, we also um, talked to Sony and, and kind of about the, the PS Plus program. And that came together pretty quickly. Um, but immediately, like, it's just been orders of magnitude um, great. Like the amount of new people playing the game now. And what's really clear to me is like, Obviously, free people like free. You remove that friction, but we're getting so many people now playing it who are even saying things like, "Hey, you know, I wouldn't really have tried this game otherwise, but I thought I'd give it a shot, and I'm really loving it. Like I'm having so much fun, and and we're getting so many people. Like I think even so, we were able to share um, that we we've done over a million downloads of the game 
um, which is pretty good for a digital title. Like those are good numbers. Um, and so it's interesting because now as a game developer, it's like, okay, once people actually tried the game, they loved it and enjoyed it. But like, how do we get people over that hump <laughs> when it's still right. 10 or $15? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's maybe part of the challenge for game developers on, on digital platforms. Um, you know, I, uh, I, there's uh, several things that I could use as my, uh, my story of the week, including, uh, Witcher 3 to have, with the Witcher 3 gets, uh, dynamic beard growth, which basically means it's going to be game of the year. Cause I mean, come on, grow a beard in a game, but I'm not going to bring that up. In fact, in fact, what I'm going to do is, uh, just kind of open the floor, use my, my sort of, uh, get out of jail free card of picking a, uh, story of the week because I know that you're interested in talking about virtual reality and there isn't a specific virtual reality story this week that we need to talk about, but uh, I always love talking about virtual reality. We do it almost every week here. And I figured uh, I'd love to hear what your take as a developer, because you said you're interested in talking about it. So, so David, what, what did you want to bring up about VR? Uh, I, so I just love, love listening to you guys talk about it because you disagree about about vr i think everything right? like, oh, like, yes like also vr Chris, christian aren't you the skeptic i think it'll be gr- i mean I, i'm i think it'll be great <laughs> yes. skeptic. Yes. jeff is buying it day one and i'm going to buy it 10 years from now maybe if it still exists so yes i am the skeptic and jeff has a picture instead of a ufo on his wall it's a picture of an <laughs> oculus and it says i believe <laughs> i like that you're, you're like aren't you a skeptic and you're like ah <laughs> like yes that's the noise that a skeptic makes yes or a dolphin um i it's just because so because uh, i see this a lot in, in game development circles as well like there's people either you're all in or you're like yeah you know and so um i think i think it's just always a fun debate to weigh into i'm i'm super all in like i love vr i think it's awesome uh, I think people that go, oh, it didn't work in the 90s, so it's not going to work now. Like, that seems to be a fallacy as an argument, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I actually had a discussion about this with some people the other day um, on Facebook. I very rarely weigh into these type of debates because it's not like people are generally looking to sort of share their opinion and 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 be clever. But uh, I couldn't resist. Um, and I was just thinking about sort of with VR, um, a lot of the reasons why people say they won't, it won't succeed are, are sort of reasons that I feel always get solved in time with technology, right? Like people going, oh, I'm going to look stupid with this headset on. It's going to be really heavy. It's like, well, it's not going to stay that way, right? Like because everything right. in technology gets smaller and more portable and more lightweight. Um, right. You know, so in some ways, I think it's just a matter of, of time. And, and the way I think about it is, you know, science fiction, um, generally, we fall in love with science fiction, right? Like, we fall in love with ideas of the future through the science fiction we consume. So when I was a kid, it was like my dream. I was convinced by the time I was growing up, I'd be flying a space fighter for, like, the space police or something, right? Because ah, of Star Wars. Only. 
you know, but I also, but, you know, we had a lot of that stuff on Star Trek that now, you know, we have our little personal computer in our hands that talks to satellites in the sky, you know, and those were sort of ideas that came for science fiction. And so, you know, virtual reality has been around in our consciousness for a long time. And also, if you just think about this from a human point of view, as human beings, like we always have this sort of desire to be able to sort of transcend our physical confines, right? Like that's why we watch movies. That's why you read books. That's why you play video games. You want to sort of lose yourself, transport yourself to another world, another place and have this almost out of your body. It's why people take drugs. I would um, guess (laughs) I'm doing air quotes, Um, you know, (laughs) but like, so this is something when you put the headset on and you're transported into this space and you're looking around, like, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Um, yes. So I'm, I'm super all in. I'm with you all the way, Jeff. So next time I'm going to come around and watch WrestleMania with you and we'll, we'll, um, in VR, we'll we'll be in the ring. That's right. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. I want to get choke slammed by the Undertaker Christian, in over, VR. Over to you. Come on, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with all that stuff. I just don't think it's it's there, and I don't think it'll be that long lasting because I don't think people, Ready Player One is being directed by Steven Spielberg, really want to live in that world for prolonged amounts of time, not in the way it's perceived right now of this big, bulky headset that's tethered to a computer that's isolating in the ultimate way of being isolating. And I think it will do okay. And then eventually someone will develop something that actually works in a freedom moving around Mm. space, AR slash VR slash holodeck. Don't get me wrong. The future is incredible, but Oculus isn't it. Well, yeah. And I think maybe it does come, I think it does come down to either you think first generation Oculus is going to be the thing, or if you think it's going to be whatever the second or third generation is, um, I think there's going to be enough people and it's close enough to something transformational right now that it'll stick around and we'll get to that sort of usability and accessibility that will scale. So I also feel like it's not like we're the only people that are making these observations. Every single person that works at those companies, Valve, HTC, mm-hmm. uh, Oculus, Facebook, they all know the realities of this. They all understand it. That's why the Oculus isn't already out. It, they could have put out a product uh, that would have, I think, turned off a lot of people in the last year, two years. Uh, but they didn't. I think that there's going to be, yes, there's going to be a, a series of revisions of this, you know, in the next five to 10 years that are going to make it even better. But I don't think these first, these first units are going to be uh, bad. And I think they're actually going to win over a large segment of people if they can convince people to try them. Because once you try them, you get it. Um, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Kind of like right, we got yeah, we got a, we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of games to talk about here too. So let's uh, let's table the rest of this. We'll have to have you back on, David, when uh, when mm. we can talk more in depth about that stuff. But let's get right now to the playlist. Big marquee release this week of Bloodborne, and Christian, I know that you have been playing Bloodborne despite claims to the contrary right you weren't gonna play this yeah no you've never played a souls game right you never played a souls game 
Never played. Okay. So what did it is uh, I had lunch with a uh, friend and rad dude, Dan Trachtenberg. And um, he actually yeah, he got me into him. <laughs> rec- he recommended not starting with Bloodborne, but definitely checking out the games. He said, wait for Souls 2, the remaster. You know, it's coming out very soon. Um, but the, the hype train won me over and I dove into Bloodborne. And? I get why people. So what do you want to hear first? The good or the bad? I want to hear your experience. So what was your experience, good or bad? Mixed. Like, I get Mm -hmm. why people like these games. And I think it's mostly because it it gives you a language. um, And not a cool kids club, but it it creates a special group of people within a hobby that allows you to sit around and feel special. And I don't mean this negatively. I've certainly, you know, running track in college had the same effect, right? Like you're in this college, but then you're an athlete and you're doing this hard thing and studying and you guys don't get it. Like what I'm doing is cool and special. And and these types of games create that within gaming where it's like, if you don't like it, you just don't get it. You're not good enough. You don't understand. It rewards you for trying. It creates a language that is unique to you and a select group of people that creates a click when people like belonging and that is a cool feeling because the game is obtuse in it how it explains itself and i think overly so and negatively so i think it could do more in terms of you know they should just call stamina roll or dodge because that's what i mean whatever right like well, there are it's things, more than that but yeah there are things that these games that this game does that are vague, I think, for vague's sake. And, and this is a make... lot more clear than any of the Souls games up to this point. <laughs> as, as Yes, I have, I have heard. Um, but I, I get that that feeling of belonging is cool, and I, too, am part of that zeitgeist right now, right, of going under facts and figuring out the best way to get around this area of these hundred rats in the sewers or whatever, you know, what have you. And so I get that. I, I think um, Braid had that feeling. Fez had that feeling. Other games have that feeling, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing but i'm saying i think that's a large part of this game's appeal i think the game itself isn't very pretty graphically there are a lot of low-res textures in the game um i guess this is one of the better looking games especially considering the non-pc versions but after you play a game even like far cry 4 which is a big game that i think is far more beautiful than, than this game and i'm not talking art design i'm talking actual graphics i think the camera is horrendous and to say that that is part of the design of this game is lazy it is awful 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 the design element yeah, especially when the first boss is like fight him in a corridor that's super narrow and sure hope that the camera doesn't get lodged oh it did oh guess what you died oh sorry yeah you died looking at this low-res texture of this side of the bridge i mean it it's a joke it, that's horrible and the fact that you switch between lock on and unlock on is so clumsy and when you're not locked on, you'll be right next to a guy. But because of your character animation being you're slightly left, your swing won't hit him at all. So you need to lock on and then you unlock and then there's a group. Well, that's all. I think those complaints are all sort of learn the game stuff that I think those are, you know, they feel clunky, but really it's more like because you expect this game to behave like other games and it doesn't. No, it's clunky. I expect my sword to hit someone when I'm standing right next to them looking at them. Well, but you would just, you, I mean, you understand that your animation does this, his animation does that. Right. And when you start to understand that, you won't ever have that problem again. Right. And then so the things that I, I like about the game are it rewards patience. And it is 
uh, a thinking man's action game, if that makes sense. And you go into an every encounter slowly and cautiously because any you've mentioned this before, any one enemy can take you down. I personally enjoy the combat in the Batman games much more than the combat in this game. I like feeling like a badass and flying around and kicking people's butts. And I would argue that the combat in the Batman games, if you play on expert where they don't have the little spider sense thing go off over people's heads when they're about to attack you is just as challenging. Um, it won't be one guy that know, takes man. you down, but it'll be the group of 20. And I think this game uses um, cheapness. It's not difficult as much as it is, um, you know, and this is fine too, hearkening back to a Mega Man style game of, you go around this corner and there's going to be a guy that surprises you that you can't. It's like that horror memorization. He's always there. He always responds there. And that's not difficult. It's just you didn't know that this guy with the big axe was there and he'll take away well, half of your health. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of different things. But oh, sure. Let me but just let me say this. My last one. Last one. What I really okay. do like about it are the hidden secrets that aren't telegraphed at all. That is great. And that harkens back to old school game design that I think is cool. A lot of what it does. I think is, is not though. Well, let me, let me go back to what you said uh, a little bit ago. I think that um, as far as the combat goes in a Batman game, it doesn't matter what the enemy does. It only matters what you do. Oh, that's not true at all. I, I I mean, I don't think, I think that's the case. I, I think that you are in control of what's happening moment to moment. And in a, in a souls game or bloodborne in this case, you have to understand what the enemy is doing. You have to watch what the enemy is doing and you have to learn the enemy. And, and that I think is the distinction between those games, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I understand where you're coming from on all the, all those gripes. It's certainly not, you're not wrong about anything in particular. Uh, I, it's interesting like you, uh, I, and many others, I think when des- describing these games have to sort of defend yourself against, why you have your opinion. And I think that's unfortunate. I don't like the fact that these games come with that stigma of like, well, I have to defend myself against not liking it. Games cannot be your taste and that or specific games are not to your taste. That's fine too. Uh, I think Bloodborne has a lot of flaws. Uh, chief among them is the loading time, which is atrocious and inexcusable, inexcusable uh, in a game like this. And the idea that they're like, well, we're working on a patch. Really? there's a possibility of fixing this, then don't put the game out yet because this game above all others is a game that requires you to load often, even when you're not dying, but you will be dying. But even when you're not dying, you want to, you're going to load often. You're going to go back to the hunter's dream and you're going to be moving around the world in different ways. It's inexcusable. And and the idea that they decided to just put up the bloodborne title against a black background and not even give you like, tips or lore or anything to look at it's it's inexcusable and i it makes me not want to play the game it it really is that bad um so that's a big gripe but it's interesting to me that basically the way i have played souls games and the way i got into souls games at all is uh learning to basically turtle (laughs) basically get a get a shield early on Walk around a corner holding that shield. Be prepared for whatever might happen. Walk into a boss fight. Put your shield up. Protect yourself. Be conservative. Hold back. And it seems like the designer, when approaching Bloodborne, was like, "F that. You got. We no are making shield, a completely bro. what? <laughs> yeah, we're making a completely different game. We are. We are 
making a conscious decision to make the opposite game of that where you can't do that. There's, you know, there's no shield for you to hide behind. And more, moreover, if you want to get your health back, you got to attack after being attacked. You can't retreat and get, you know, play the souls games the way uh, I have played them, which is interesting. It's compelling to me to now have to approach, really relearn how to approach these games. And if this, load times were good i wouldn't mind having to relearn uh but i'm i'm really not playing this game actively until that patch comes out if you're telling me there's a patch that comes out it's the same thing with ori in the blind forest if you're telling me you're working on a patch okay i'm not going to play your game until that patch is out um so put out the patch as soon as possible bros so i can play that um anyway do you have any uh, other uh, other thoughts christian what's well, one so i um i beat the first boss on my fourth attempt uh i almost beat the second boss on my first attempt i tried to get back and i have not made it back to that person um just general stuff you know as people said don't be afraid to die i don't think this game is really that frustrating especially if you're willing to use facts and guides which everybody says is totally acceptable for these games because you'll find shortcuts that make getting back to where you're going doable and right. as long as you accept the fact that part of the fun of this game is listening to a podcast and farming for two hours and then upgrading the crap out of your character then it's a walk through the park until you get to the next part that you can't do and then you find places where you can cheese bloodstones and upgrade your weapons and it's a slow monotonous game that rewards patience and i think because it has blood and splatter and demons and whatever people are like you know i'm gonna go mess stuff up woohoo it's not that and once you've accepted that i i wouldn't say that this game is is hard it, it, it refocuses the type of game that it needs to be. I would argue something like Mega Man 10 is harder because you either have the physical dexterity to do it or not for some of those cheap jumps you need to make or something like Ori escaping, you know, the tree. I'll leave it at that. It's a little vague. Can, Go ahead. Hey, can I, can I ask you guys a question? Cause I, I haven't played Bloodborne, um, but I played, uh, I played a bit of Demon Souls a fair bit. And mm-hmm. um, how much, how much does the the presence like the thing that's always fascinated me about those games is that sort of social multiplayer component with people leaving notes and stuff like that um I always felt like as a designer that was just one of the most original incredible like in terms of potential for where you could go with systems yeah. like that so like how much does that impact is it part of the experience in bloodborne how does it work yeah no, I, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that that is really the key to to me falling in love with these kinds of games was the social aspect of it. And uh, it's unfortunate that Bloodborne forces you to do so much in the game before you can sort of play with multiplayer, play mm-hmm. co-op and, and have that experience. There's still a lot of the messaging. And I think that messaging fosters this whole uh, online community it really it really creates a sense of that feeling that we all had when we were kids when we were playing nes games and somebody told you about this thing that you heard on the playground mm-hmm. and but you didn't know that if you you know backtracked three screens over to the left and went up to the here you would find a special weapon that element that discovery element in these games is really i think the magic and i would also say that having this game on ps4 now and marrying it with share play is amazing and if anybody mm-hmm. has uh, the ability to you know have a friend that maybe is more experienced with this game with these games and you can share play your game and you can still be playing it 
but they're like, oh, no, 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 go to the left, go to the left. Oh, uh, let me, there's a guy coming up here, so be prepared. That is a really, really fun way to play this game. And I think it really, uh, for me, legitimizes share play at all, uh, let alone, you know, having someone mm-hmm. physically take over your game and play it. Just having them be able to watch you and coach you uh, via voice is really, really fun. And the addition of Suspend Resume coming out, uh, finally making it to PS4 when this game came out is is pretty nice. <laughs> uh, and then my last, I guess, thought on on the game as as a whole is it's it's this it's this idea of reviews for games being such a difficult thing versus other mediums in my opinion where this game got great reviews and arguably deservedly deservedly so but man it's hard to put scores on such vastly different things like if you gave bloodborne to cares no 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 well i think it's different i I don't read scores so i don't it doesn't doesn't affect my world but go ahead you also well, I was going to say something snarky, but I won't. Um, just because you don't do something doesn't mean other people. I mean, you like Heroes of the Storm. Half of our audience hates it, but that you know, that's for another another discussion. I said the snarky thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the the point is though, putting a a a wrapper on something and holding up something as a great example of something is, is so much harder to do in games because they're so different. Like a movie might have complex feelings or be a slasher or an action movie or whatever. But like this game to say Polygon gave this game a nine and they gave, I don't even know what uh, game Y a six. So this read the article. Therefore better. Read it. Read the article. Maybe this, that will give you a little context for that number. I just don't, I don't understand why I don't understand caring so much about that stuff, but there's a whole under- other conversation about review scores that, that we could have, but that's probably a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. But, but I can Do tell you, you understand who, who, being dismissive of other people's opinions though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being dismissive. I'm just saying, I, I, don't, I feel like we're talking, I'm interested in talking about the game and you're interested in talking about other people's opinions of the game. No, like I'm I don't, interested in talking about the, th- the larger point is it's like what you talked about earlier is defending your liking or not liking of the game or how we started this show. They're liking or not liking of wrestling where it's, how do you, which put- I think is silly into concept something that you think is great or not great and they share it succinctly to someone else so that they know people in the chat are like i haven't played a souls game will i like this game hype team's going crazy how will i know if i like this game is this game for me is this game not for me how do you succinctly put something like that as a podcast or a website whose one of the points of it is to let people know your feelings on it and therefore how they might feel about it what type of thing this is I think it's difficult, and I think a game like Bloodborne illustrates the difficulty in 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 recommend, recommending something, and I think that then relates back to review scores. Something, something, you, WrestleMania. You talk about what you liked and didn't like about the the game in the context of your personal experience, and if people listen to enough episodes of the show. They understand who you are and whether or not their tastes align with yours. And even if this is the first episode they've ever listened to, they get a sense of where your opinion came from because you have context. And that that's why I want to talk about the game rather than the sort of meta discussion of meta not being intended to be a pun at all, but uh, the meta discussion of what other people's review scores mean, et cetera, et cetera. I just, 
it just feels like spinning our wheels. It doesn't feel like, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to dismiss your opinion. I'm just saying that like, why, why be so concerned with the, the review scores or what the perception of the review scores are? Why not just say your opinion about something and talk about the thing and have people involved in that discussion? I don't know. I'm not trying to dismiss you, Christian. Please don't be dismissed. I was just happy when you said I had context. So I'm sitting over here on a big smile. <laughs> isn't, uh, is, isn't dismissing each other's opinions part of what people tune in for every week? No one's listening to you, David. <laughs> Shut your face. Shut your opinion hole. No one can. <laughs> I give this uh, argument dismissing... 8 out of 10. <laughs> I, that's going to be the new uh, the new acronym for DLC. Dismissing listening to Christian. That's what the DLC is going to be. Um we can, we'll talk more about Bloodborne for sure. Uh, but I don't want to miss talking about uh, what's on your playlist, David, because I kind of skipped that over. And I know you're playing a game that we've had a lot of requests to talk about on the show, uh-huh. which is Helldivers. Yes. Yeah. So, um, hopefully you guys haven't dug into this too much yet, but, um, Christian, I was figuring you might have tried this because it's, because it's on Vita as well as PS4. Have you played it? I haven't. It's, it's a game that I hear is great, okay. but I just haven't had time for. Yeah, put it on your list, guys. I love it. Um, it's super cool. Uh, a little bit of bias because um, I, I met the developers last year when I was doing the E3 thing, and they're they're like super crazy, uh, nice Swedish guys. That like um, the thing I love about games that come out like these is is they they very often reflect the personality of the people that make them. And um, they're like, they're they're a pretty crazy bunch. And I love the way they thought about this game. So um, for people who don't know, it's a um, four uh, up to four player co-op game, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. Um, It's available now. I think it's like, God, you know, I can't remember the price, so I'm not going to misquote it. Um, But I bought it uh, and really had a chance to get into it this week. Um, it has a lot of um, social components to it. It's basically a top-down shooter um, with with the kind of um, Robotron controls, you know, dual stick. Right, yeah. Um, and it's got, like, RPG elements to your character. You're leveling them up. You're getting better guns. Um, I've, I've seen people compare it to like, almost like an indie Destiny. Um, I don't think that's a bad way to sort of start the conversation, just to get you thinking about what the type of game it is. Um, the thing I love about it is they've, they've really made some design design decisions about the fact that you're playing with friends that I feel really help create those kind of like crazy couch co-op experiences you had as a friend, um, as a kid. Like, for example, uh, Friendly Fire. Like, Friendly Fire is a big deal in this game. So if you're just like aiming your weapon and letting off rounds randomly sort of like um who's the guy in aliens i'm trying to think of you know game over man game over man yeah you start letting off rounds you're gonna take off out the rest of your team um and so you really have to be thoughtful about like firing but at the same time it's a pretty frenetic game so there's always like aliens it's got kind of a starship troopers world type vibe there's all these aliens sort of rushing at you from all side and you have objectives um uh, within this relatively small map that you have to go and explore uh and you've got to work together as a team 
Um, uh, and then so some other great touches that they've, they've added all intended to get you going like, damn you, Jeff, you know, like sort of <laughs> cursing at your friends um, is things like uh, you can call in ammo drops or all sorts of um, drops from spaceships. Um, but when they call in, they just basically like drop right down onto the map. And the amount of times that you'll just be some other player walking along and suddenly somebody else's drop lands right on top of you and splats you. Um, you've got to be really careful about stuff like that. Um, so it's just, it's just got this nice semi chaotic feel. Um, but the thing I like about it as well is I haven't seen a ton of griefing since I've been playing. You're jumping online with strangers. No one's really like, breaking the game or shooting each other like people understand oh you shot me it was a mistake don't do it next time because you still need <laughs> to get through the mission yourself so uh awesome. it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun i feel like that's something that i would really dig we should play it together christian it'd be fun no griefing <laughs> Deal. Um, <laughs> I have been playing uh, a lot of Pillars of Eternity this week, and I have to thank at uh, RJ Staines on Twitter. He sent me over, he had an extra code for this game, so he sent it over to me and said, hey, I think you'll like this, download it. Boy, was he right. I'll be talking about it a lot more uh, over the coming weeks. I've just scratched the surface, but it's it's Obsidian Entertainment's uh, new, basically, spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate, uh, games that I really love, Pillars of Eternity, or... Uh, um, sorry, <laughs> uh, Torment and uh, Planescape Torment and Baldur's Gate and those types of games. This is very, very much built in that old school RPG uh, top down isometric style that I love so much. These are my favorite kinds of games. And I think this one even more so is very much like playing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. If you want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but you don't have human beings that will play with you. This is the game for you. It plays like a campaign from Dungeons and Dragons or even better. It plays like uh, reading a great fantasy novel. I love reading fantasy novels. One of my favorite things, uh, you know, one of my favorite genres of, of book to read is, is the fantasy genre. Great writing. Uh, it feels kind of like uh, a choose your own adventure at times. There are these wonderful moments that are illustrated as if they're on parchment and you have these decisions to make great decisions in this game. Uh, but all of the systems are built like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Everything's based on dice rolls. Everything's based on statistics. Everything's based on your, your, your characters build and makeup. And they've done some really clever, smart things with making statistics work in interesting ways, like the intelligence statistic, which is usually sort of the opposite of strength. Either you have a character that has high strength or you have a character that has high intelligence, like your mage will have high intelligence, but be wimpy and, and break easy. But your warrior will have high strength and just dumb. Uh, they broke that convention, which is really smart, in my opinion, and made it so intelligence has to do with how often you hit something. So you want your fighter to have high intelligence because he needs to hit stuff. Uh, so it, it, it's really interesting the, the way builds work and uh, all this, all the behind the scenes mechanics that are very D and D um, I'm not in love with real time combat uh, in these types of games. I much more prefer the divinity original sin uh, turn-based style of combat. And this is pause anytime, make decisions and then unpause and let them play out, which is sort of a hybrid of that. But I don't think is as satisfying as actually planning out every turn 
Um, and I often sit there just watching, seeing what's going to happen and then clicking on something to uh, alter a moment here or there. I'm sure I'll like it as I get more people in my party with more different kinds of options, but, um, I'm pretty early on in the game, but, uh, but you know, I prefer just turn-based overall still very, very high quality game, gorgeous, wonderful looking, um, so well written and such an interesting fantasy world to be a part of. I'm going to be talking about a lot more because I'm going to be playing a lot more of it, to be honest. Um, but I, what I won't be talking about this week is heroes of the storm. Despite the fact that there was a giant patch that came out, giant, one of the biggest patches since the game has been in alpha. This is a massive patch, but I'm not going to talk about it guys. The forces of evil have prevailed. I got the message loud and clear. No one wants the Hots Primer. I got it. I get it. The forces of evil have made their opinions. I will not be talking about the the new Tomb of the Spider Queen map with its uh, emphasis on laning to get gems, which is so interesting. I'm not going to be talking about uh, Sylvanas, the new character that was in the patch, and how she can lock down towers and minions and mercs, I, and I how that has changed things here. up. But I'm I definitely have started... I have started playing it, and you guys, I am hooked. So let's dive into Christian's Hot Primer, Christian's Hot Primer. Despite what Jeff says, it's really called Primer. So guys, here's the thing about Heroes of the Storm. What you want to do when you play is select a hero. I know that sounds basic, but before you can play the game, you have to pick a hero. There's a lot to choose from. It's really overwhelming sometimes. And if you spent the $40 to get into the beta like I did, it's pronounced beta. It's pronounced beta. Despite David's home country, it's not pronounced beta. What you want to do is find a hero. Oh, so much snark. So, you put your so mouse, much under, under, underhanded. You put your mouse on one of the characters and click the left oh, mouse button to select man. your hero. From there, the game really opens up. And uh-huh. let me tell you, you'll have to listen next week. To find out what you do after you select your hero. I can't wait. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Guys, buy Hilarious. my comedy album. It's an hour of that. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mm. Point taken, guys. Uh what else is on your playlist, David? Oh, um, so uh there's a little iOS games that basically so this is for when you're waiting for those bloodborne load times. Um, in between death, uh, fire up your iOS and check out a game called Touchstone. Uh, it's a really okay. interesting little um, puzzle game. Um, and it's it's a puzzle game. You've, there's kind of it's like a you're seeing these beams of different colored light shooting across the screen, and you have to move blocks around to try and redirect them. Um, you know, it's it, the the puzzle game itself is fun. Uh, but what made it interesting to me was like it has a story around it, and um, it it kind of introduces you to the game by way of this sort of "Hey, uh, citizen, you know, welcome." Like the world is a scary place, and we need your help. Um, and so it's this kind of NSA style organization that recruits you, and then has you essentially hacking and monitoring people's calls. Uh, via this sort of puzzle game. And so uh, as you progress through the game, you're hacking and you're revealing conversations between people, uh, finding out more about the story. So I, w- I won't say anything too much to give it away, but it- it's like it's got a, like an interesting voyeuristic aspect to it. 
um, you know, it's it's sort of contemporary culture with the whole um, questions about, you know, people listening in on us and stuff like that. Um, I just thought it was interesting, like a puzzle game with a story. Yeah. So that's touch tone, not yes. touch stone. It's touch tone on touch iOS. Touch tone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, Christian, are you ready to do a uh, stories of glories, tales of fails? Uh, yes, please. You have a role. You have a role. Do you see your lines? <clears throat> uh, I'm scrolling down. I saw them. I'm not currently looking at them, but I will be there soon. All right. Ready? Here we go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Stories of glories, tales of fails. Here we go. Uh, this is from uh, Kari Taylor. Uh, sent this in to uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com, which you, you can submit your own story of glory or tale of fail. Uh, so here we go. Thank you, Kari, for sending this in. He says, my story harkens all the way back to the original Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation, which is still one of my favorite games of all time. It was during my first encounter with the boss, Psycho Mantis, who had just melted my real world face off by reading my console's memory cards and telling me what Konami games I'd played in the past. The realization that Mantis could potentially read my mind and predict what I might do next was one of the most terrifying moments in my gaming life, and I knew it would take all of my wits and skills to beat him. So when the actual boss fight started and Mantis started throwing objects in the room towards me, I did what any sensible gamer would do. I had Solid Snake drop right to the floor and use his trademark sneak to avoid them, only popping up when it was safe to fire my gun at Mantis, and then quickly drop back down to the floor again. Of course, this strategy failed utterly over and over and over again as Mantis was able to read my mind and direct my fire back at me, killing me, and thus forcing me to restart the entire encounter. Eventually, however, I learned that I actually could harm Mantis if instead of shooting, I quickly darted towards Mantis, punched him, and then dropped down to the floor again before he could hit me with his telekinesis. And so began a long, grueling boss fight, taking about 40 minutes of of time for me to complete a battle that demanded incredible hand-eye coordination and patience in my part as i slowly whittled mantis's health bar away with every well-placed strike i was so focused on the task that i didn't even take a moment to answer the constant incoming call on my codec from commander campbell i was in the middle of the boss fight of my life damn it and i'd actually found mantis's weakness so i didn't have time for idle chit-chat when that freak, Psychomantis, finally fell to my technique and shared his tragic life story with Snake and Meryl as his life force slowly ebbed away, I was once again glued to my screen. What a fantastic tale! And I w- would even have to, I would even felt sorry for the wretch if I hadn't been such a hard fought battle and such a satisfying victory. As soon as the cutscene ended, I paused the game, hopped on the phone, and called my younger brother, who was also playing through the game at the same time as the game had just come out that week. Here's how that conversation went. Bro, I just beat Psychomantis. What a bastard! Took me 40 straight minutes! Uh, 40 minutes? <laughs> I mean, seriously, did you use the controller swap trick? Wait, what controller swap trick? You know where you swap the controller so Psychomantis can't tell what you're going to do? Didn't, I mean, didn't you talk to Commander Campbell? And there you have it. Both my greatest story of glory and my most embarrassing tale of fail. I think Hideo Kojima owes me an honorary achievement trophy for beating Psycho Mantis without cheating. What do you guys think? And flash forward 20 years later, and that emailer developed the Souls games. <laughs> yeah, it does uh, seem very apropos this week in talking about protracted, uh, grueling, 
boss fights uh, because, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy. There's been many times in my life where I have, uh, because I just assumed I knew what I knew how to do it, or I felt like, oh, I figured it out that I just ignored the obvious tells that a game was giving me and, and did, you know, just did it my way, which was much harder. And if I had just taken a second and questioned my assumptions, I would have, uh, been a lot easier. David, did, did you play Metal Gear Solid, the original? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, in fact, um, yeah, I was remembering that, that moment. That was, that was, um, so brilliant. It also made me think of that, uh, on the Zelda DS, you know, when you had to blow out the, um, blow out the flames in the torches oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, by blowing into the DS. Uh, yeah, I love stuff like that, that really thinks about how to make use of the hardware. So yeah, cool. Uh, mind blowing. That was a mind blowing moment for me too. On, when it, we realized, oh my god, you have to trick him by actually changing the controller. Crazy. crazy. Have I ever yeah. told you how I how I did that, Jeff? I, I think you have, but remind me. I, I was playing with my little brother in the room, and I was frustrated, and I got really angry, and I threw the controller, and it unplugged, and I said, "You take a turn," and he plugged it into the second port and beat no. him without, like, accidentally whatever it's like right and, he beat wow. him. and i was like how are you doing and he's just like i guess i'm better than you and i was so <laughs> so frustrated <laughs> and he killed him so easily that's hilarious uh all right guys let's uh let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time right now right now talking board games uh david are you a board gamer no (laughs) but you said you've played you've played some right you you said you played uh no i i have um yeah no i'm i'm not a board gamer i'm definitely in christian's camp on this on this um but there was a game that we I, I was sort of forced to play at the office just from the point of view of like having friends and being sociable. Um and it was Risk Legacy. Have you guys talked about that on here before? Yeah, I have. Uh it's been a while okay. since I mentioned our risk risk legacy campaign, but um yeah. did you play just one game of it? No, we played a few few games. The thing that was so crazy about playing Risk Legacy is um I mean, I'll just quickly recap, but you know, it, it, the whole point of it, right, is you have this table and it plays out over multiple games. And then as you're playing, right. the board itself changes, like uh, at the end of a round, you can stick things physically onto the board. Uh, you right. can name cities and you're writing on the cities and things like that. So it, it has this um, permanence to it, which does make it super interesting. Um, I think the thing that was so crazy for me at the time was like growing up as a kid playing board games uh, and anything that you would have in the house as a kid, right? It was like, you have to look out after this, put all the bits away afterwards, like don't lose anything, take care of it. And then in Risk Legacy, like one of the first things you have to do is like pick cards and then physically rip them up and throw them away. And that just felt so wrong. Like I just felt like, any minute now, my parents were going to come in, shout at me, and take take this toy away. Um, yeah, it was just it's very really transgressive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic game. One of the guys that was in our group 
uh, moved back east. So we have uh, lagged a little bit in our campaign mm. because it's like, what do we do now? We had this guy who was all invested in our in our campaign and he has moved away. Do we replace him midstream? What do we even do? So it's been a little bit of a lag there. But uh, man, it, we had uh, Rob Davio on the show a, a couple of times mm. and he's uh, the designer of this game. And it, it's just a, such a brilliant introduction to um to permanence in in mm. in board games like what what does that even mean and now we're seeing you know the announcement of pandemic legacy uh, is coming soon mm. and what that's going to mean and this, this legacy concept is really taking hold and i think it's as you said very transgressive it feels very um revolutionary it's something that you've never done to a board game to physically write your name on it to tear things up to open new packets and introduce them into the game midstream that changes rules uh, mm. just brilliant. And I highly recommend uh, risk legacy just, to anybody. It just goes to show as well that like there, there's always room for more innovation, right? Like yes. you think of mm-hmm. board games as being this thing that's been around for a long time. And then something like that can come along and you're just like, Oh my God. Like it makes you look at this activity in a completely different way. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Christian, you and I played a game together not too long ago. I had you over and we played uh, Mysterium, um, which is the sort of cross between Clue, which is a game a lot of people know, and Dixit, which maybe fewer people know. But um, basically the idea is that there are these ghost hunters going into a, a haunted place and they're trying to figure out what the eternal mystery that is keeping the ghost there is is in order to have him rest in peace or her rest in peace. And uh, one player plays as the ghost and tries to communicate to each of the ghost hunters what this murder that happened, who killed them, how they killed them, and where they killed them, much like Clue, but can only communicate through dreams. And the way that the mechanics of the board game work is that you use these cards that are very... Uh, abstract and, and artistic. Well, they're not abstract. They're more just esoteric and strange looking. It's a bunch of very dreamlike art. Uh, and you have uh, only a small group of them that you have to assign to each ghost hunter to, to help them try to figure out clues in order to uh, determine all those, all those facts about the murder. And Christian, when we played, you were the ghost. Is best described by me as uh, like that Simpsons episode where they play, is it Pictionary? And Milhouse's dad is, it's integrity. Can't you tell that's integrity? Like it's so clear to you as the ghost, like giving the hints. And I was like, well, right. they're going to nail this done and done. And you guys were like, um, this is a, the same color. And I'm like, oh crap, Jeff's looking at the color comparison. I didn't even think about the color comparisons. I gave him this one because <laughs> this has a bag in the thing I'm trying to guess is a bag. <laughs> and then you learn as you go, like what types of things, you know, the people you're playing with are maybe looking for, or you create a pattern and you keep going, no, every card I've given you has a freaking bag in it, Jeff. Look at the <laughs> bag, Jeff. <laughs> but it's fun. It was fun. We did not win. I was a poor ghost i guess how often do you get it's hard how often do you get through it because you have like seven turns basically to correctly guess based on the ghost's best effort like we're all on the same team but we did not get very far (laughs) yeah well it's you know and they have a variable uh uh difficulty level level so that things can be easier you have more options and more potential fails um and we were playing on normal which is hard i mean it's it's not easy and 
it takes a couple of turns, to, as you said, for the ghost to kind of get how people are reacting to the cards and understand how you can have this nonverbal communication through imagery and what it takes and how the how the how the the deduction of your team is is coming together. Uh, I have yet to win the game without cheating, <laughs> cheating being just like, well, let's take an extra turn and see if we can get it now. Um, but doing it in seven, getting all the information you need, which is a lot in only seven turns is very challenging, but uh, it's, it's a really fun game. And I think that it's something that's accessible to a lot of people. Cause it's just this idea of let's all sit around and try to figure out what this person means by this bizarre, weird, like a bed floating in space with, you know, donuts hanging from strings. It's like, what, what even is that? And how is that tr- supposed to tell me whether the person used a knife or a candlestick or a spider venom? You know, what, what, <laughs> what is even happening here? Um, but this is a a game that's not available or hasn't been published in the United States yet, but you can buy the, uh, the uh, overseas version, which is what Dutch or I can't even remember, but um, I have it in a very odd language, but it's uh, easily available on board game geek to find the English translation of the, of the rules, but you liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend playing it. And it's the bag. I think if you do have a regular group of friends, I think that's how you beat it eventually, right? Without cheating, because you do learn what people's preferences are. But it's super fun. And I I think it's a good maybe palate cleanser between more complex games where if you're having a, a long game night, that could be a fun like get up and play people you know, get their blood flowing and, and a totally different type of thinking than, you know, plotting right. a long strategy for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And it's a fun, it, it is, everybody's working together, even if uh, they're sort of hamstrung and doing so in a lot of ways, very, <laughs> very, very clever, simple concept, very clever, cleverly uh, implemented. Um, okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, we do have our parting gift to give you uh, before we go, but first I want to thank David Nottingham for being here. Uh, tell us about counter spy where people can get it now. And, and if they want to follow your exploits, how they can do that. Yes, Counterspy. Okay, here's my plug. Counterspy is free. F-R-E-E-E. And it's available. One extra E. It's an extra E. It's triple E. This is a triple E game. Uh, It's available (laughs) on PS Plus for free. On PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita. There's there's also an iOS and mobile version. Um, One of the things also I wanted to mention on PS4... When I, I looked on the dashboard, it's actually not listed under the free games for some reason. You've got to go a bit, dig a bit deeper. Uh, I did see it under the popular games. So if you don't see it um, where you expect, uh, it's definitely there and it's definitely free. Uh, and then you can follow uh, me on Twitter at David Notty, N-O-T-T-Y. And you can also follow Dynamite uh, as well. Awesome. Um, your next game is going to be a VR game. Is that confirmed? Did we confirm that this week? <laughs> That's a longer <laughs> conversation, but yeah, um, if, if someone's got a check to write for a VR game, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian, how about you? What's going on this week? Uh, I mentioned it last week there. Uh, Jenny Fine did a poster for um, the rec- album recording. I have Moment in Time, which is my debut comedy album. Uh, but we turned that poster design into a T-shirt design. And it's super so, cool, too. So neat looking. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's, uh, you know, it says Moment in Time and Christian Spicer on it. But that's definitely not the focus of 
of the shirt. It's um, what you do as the world ends. <laughs> it's kind of the motif of the design. And it's up at Teespring. So if people want it, great. I hope you enjoy it and, and you love it. I have one. It's on an Ameri- American Apparel shirt. Um, I had a test shirt done. And it's wonderful and fantastic. If you don't want one, that's fine. I understand. But if you want one, they're at Teespring. The URL is kind of long, but there's a link to it on my website, christianspicer.com. So you can find it there. It's the top post on my page. And uh, I think it's a really cool shirt. If you like it, dope. Check it out. If not, no worries. And then uh, Twitter. I like talking to people at Spicer. I'm at Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, enjoy your your follows and comments about the show there. But you can also check out our subreddit, which I haven't mentioned yet in the show. Uh, you can always submit stories for Story of the Week at our subreddit. You can talk back uh, on the episode. We have an awesome community building there and getting ever stronger. So go to 5x5dlc.reddit.com for that. Um and again, we, we appreciate the reviews on iTunes as well. You can check out other shows that I do, including the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com, talking about movies, and the comedy show I do with Anthony Carboni called We Have Concerns. That's at WeHaveConcerns.com. Uh, all right, dudes, that brings us to the parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. David, you have a parting gift to let the people through the week uh bieber roast tonight on comedy central <laughs> bieber roast our buddies work in the red carpet right christian for that which buddy i have a lot of buddies involved with that it was um, a great event people i think will An- like it andrew uh what's his name anyway oh andrew santino guy. yeah 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 santino. yeah andrew santino. he's on the next uh improv stand-up which is thursday april 9th at ucb andrew's great he has a show on i think it's on yahoo oh, i don't want to say but uh sin city saints he's great he's fantastic arrested development blah 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 people i think anyway. people will enjoy the bieber roast anyway sorry go ahead david you had more to say oh no that was it bieber roast bieber roast people yeah. roasted up well, are they going to be are they going to be brutal to the bieber or are they going to be gentle i i'm very mm, i feel like I he's fragile yeah were, they'll probably they take it easy i'm sure they, they'll oh, take they were it easy. they were brutal no come on <laughs> they were brutal, but one note yeah <laughs> christian uh what about you you got a got a parting gift people enjoy some mainstream maybe slightly not as mainstream comic book recommendations uh time and time again i will throw out batman hush but mostly just for the beautiful jim lee art um yeah. it is where the character hush is introduced i think poorly <laughs> introduced he has since become a very interesting character in the batman mythos at certain points um but is basically an excuse to see jim lee beautifully draw every single one of batman's main villains so if you have the money spring for a hardback collection the story is not bad but mm, those layouts are beautiful it's called batman hush and it's several years old so you should be able to find it pretty cheap Hey, full disclosure on mine, uh, the folks at Netgear sent me a Nighthawk X6 AC3200 router uh, to check out, and I have checked it out. And uh, yes, I got it from them. They sent it to me to check out. Um, so take this with a grain of salt if you must, but it's darn good. It is really good. I'll tell you the the exact situation that happened is uh, I have a nah, not a very big apartment. It's about, uh, I guess, 1,100 square feet, something like that. And um, I'm on one end of it in my little office room and my wife is on the other end of it in her little office room. And uh, we both want to use the Internet wirelessly. 
and I had a router that I thought was pretty decent and I was using it. And if I put it in my office where the internet plug is, uh, she, her signal was too weak in her office. And so we got this new router and oh my gosh, it's awesome. It's a tri band router. Uh, it's got a lot of real cool whiz bang features. Like you can plug any old, uh, external hard drive into it and it turns into a network hard drive. You can plug any old printer into it, it turns into a network printer. That's awesome. Uh, but the three bands are what really makes it special for me because it, the signal is so strong that I could, we had the old router in the middle of the house, like with a bunch of cords hanging out of it, lame looking, but I've been able to use this new Nighthawk router, uh, in my office tucked away and it's still so strong enough to, uh, let my wife work in her office. So for what it's worth, I've been had, have had a very positive experience with this, uh, Nighthawk X6 AC3200. So just wanted to let people know about that. And that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thank you guys for tuning in. Special thanks to everybody listening live in the chat room and giving their opinions in real time. We always appreciate that. Thanks to the folks at 5x5 for producing the show. Thanks to Christian Spicer, David Nottingham, and all of you for listening. Until next time, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 